Welcome to the Family Church Sermon Podcast. Join us each week as we look to the Bible to seek out what it means to love God passionately and love people personally. For more information about our weekly gatherings and how you can be part of our outreach, visit jointhefamily.church. Hey everybody, let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5, we're starting our new sermon series called Family Roots. Uh, We're kicking it off today and uh, just excited to open God's Word with you the next month and a half to look at what does it mean? What is the primal reasons that we gather together as the church and we proclaim together as the church and we do what God has called us to do? Next Sunday is gonna be an important Sunday too because I'm gonna give you two quick announcements here. Next Sunday we launch, uh, y'all know we already have a midweek community group that gathers in the Ross home, Um, but next week we're gonna also, we're gonna add a Sunday morning group that's gonna gather at nine o'clock in in this this room right here to my right, your left, first room to my right, first room to your left, we're going to gather, and as, as adults who, maybe you can't make it midweek, uh, we would love to have you on Sunday mornings. And we're going to be looking deeper at this, this topic of family roots together. We're going to be discussing the messages together. We're going to be rereading the scriptures together. And so I would invite you to come unpack that in our house this Wednesday or next Sunday morning. Uh, here at 9 a.m. Also next Sunday, we're going to relaunch our uh, taking kids uh, out during the sermon sermon portion of our message. The summer was a little bit scattered. Not only did we move to a new location, but we, uh, we um, y'all know what you do in summer. You go and get your tan at the beach or you do what you do. And we were all over the place. And so, uh, so we're, we're glad to finally be back. Kids are in school everywhere. It's an awesome, we're, we're kind of just building our routine. Uh, Brandy bought a house, she's settled, it's great, you know? So uh, we're excited just for being settled down and uh, we're gonna get back into our rhythms. And that's what life is really about, about rhythms. Y'all know some things come naturally. If you're a, a, a parent, you know, if someone harms your children, naturally you're gonna wanna kill them, right? Like some things come naturally. People that we love, they get offended, we wanna defend them. It's natural to wanna eat. It's natural to want to drink. In fact, when you don't wanna eat and you don't wanna drink is when we know that you have certain disorders that we have to work through and get help for. It's natural to wanna have food, shelter, clothing, all these things. It's natural for those of us that live here want the saints to whoop up on the Falcons today. It's, you know, some things just come natural. I love my, my friend Lane Corley. He pastors, he's a mentor of mine, pastors Bridge Church up in uh, Madisonville, Covington area. He says this, primal, primal, and he's talking about the primal faith rhythms of following Jesus. Primal means by nature or instinct. It may also refer to the earliest form of something. As humans, we have instincts for survival, human connection, and air to breathe, which represents a certain basic primal instincts built into, the, into our nature to fight the most difficult times. There's also a primal nature to our faith, and often in t- difficult times, he says, we return to those roots. And so as we're preparing as a church, 
to move back into, uh, hopefully by the holidays, our home in Kenner, Louisiana, and do the work that God has called us to do in University City and continue the work that God has called us to do here all across New Orleans, even right here in Metairie. It's important that we talk about where are our roots? What do we do? If we're going to move forward, what are we going to move forward with? Well, y'all know our mission is to love God passionately and love people personally. And so I'm so thankful that we get to gather and we get to worship the Lord together. I'm also glad that each and every one of you are here. Like, I, I love each and every one of you uh, deeply. I really do. It's even, honestly, when some of you tick me off, because, hey, I'm a human being, I get ticked off, right? It's kind of like family. You get ticked off. You don't like people sometimes, but you love them. And I'm glad that we get to, get, we get to be together as a church family that's different. We're different. We're different racially. We're different socioeconomically. We're different in, our, in the teams that we root for. We're, we're different in all these ways. But I praise God that we get to come together. We get to love him and love other people. And this is how we display that love. The next five weeks, we're going to look at these primal faith rhythms or what we're calling family roots. And we're going to talk about what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to pursue Jesus? What does it mean to share Jesus? What, it, what does it mean to multiply for Jesus? And what does it mean to gather for Jesus? So let's start today. We're going to look at what does it mean to follow Jesus? What does it mean to say yes to Jesus? At the prime core root of all that we do, we are followers of Jesus. We say yes to him. And so let's look at what that looks like in Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. On one occasion, verse 1, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And you might say, well, what lake is that? It's Galilee. Gennesaret was a community in northwest uh, Sea of Galilee. Sometimes they would, they would call the lake the lake of Gennesaret too. So Sea of Galilee is where he's at. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon, that's Peter, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat, verse 4. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered him, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets, verse 6. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish in their, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both of the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For, for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that had been taken. And, and, also, and so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Maybe you have a translation that says, from now on, you will be fishers of men. And when they had brought their boats to the land, they left everything and followed him. Today, our big idea is this, and it's the title of our sermon as well, follow Jesus. 
follow Jesus. Our sermon's entitled Follow. Our big idea is who do we follow? We follow Jesus. That's what he called us to do. That's what we're commanded to do. And that's the root of all that we do. We see in the fir- we see a, a pattern that takes place here. And what's funny is our first time that we gathered as a church family, uh, and, uh, right as, as the world was opening back up after COVID, we looked at a similar passage, the same story is told in, in the other gospels, not all three of them, not all four of them, there's four gospels, uh, but it's told in three of them. And so we see that um, this story has been told before and we've looked at it before and we see that there's a pattern here. There's a pattern of what Jesus calls us to do, but there's also a pattern that we take from this and we we see what does it mean to follow Jesus and what does it mean to call others to follow him. And the first is this. Our first point of following Jesus is that we identify. We identify. And like I said, the first summer we got back together as a church family and as we were forming our family roots, we looked at what does it mean to follow Jesus. And we looked in the Gospel of Mark and we saw that it meant to identify first. Identify. What, what happens? It says in verse 1, while the crowds were pressing in. See, previously Jesus' ministry had gone public and Jesus was healing people. In fact, you back up. Let's, if you have your Bible, I don't have this on the screen, but if you, Travis probably will get it there though. Uh, If you back up to Luke chapter four in verse 38, it says, and Jesus, and he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house, talking about Peter, Simon Peter's house. And, and it says, now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever And they appealed to him on their behalf. And Jesus stood over her, rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. So what you're going to see here in a moment, Simon follows Jesus. And it wasn't so much on a whim. Simon had seen what Jesus had done. And he had done, he had worked miracles in the the midst of chaos. Uh, Just a side note, y'all know... Uh, Catholics claim they have Peter being the first pope, and uh, we know that priests aren't allowed to marry. And I, I would say this, that marriage is not a bad thing, even though Paul tells us, you know, that if we're called to celibacy, it's, it's a godly call. Um, it's something that we should consider. But marriage is not a bad thing, because even the first pope, Peter, uh, had a mother-in-law, you know? You don't have a mother-in-law if you're not married, right? Yeah, you, you don't take on the mother-in-law if you don't have the spouse, you know? And so Peter, here in the dirtiness even of family, Jesus showed up. His mother-in-law was sick, and Jesus healed him. And so when Jesus identified Peter and gets into his boat, this call to mission, let's keep in mind, this call to mission didn't necessarily come at a quiet time. Now, I'm not saying I love, going, I love going to the beach or the mountains. It's not necessarily to do the physical things. In fact, um, uh, black hides a belly, right? You know, like uh, I don't go to the beach to show up my body or anything. You know, I don't, I don't go to the beach to get a tan. I really just do it to shut the world off. Because when we shut the world off and we, you know, nature, we, we hear from God. But God also, let's never, let's never forget that God also speaks in the chaos. As the crowds were pressing in, 
the Lord got to work. As people were sick and hurting, the Lord got to work. And as it, as it says in verse 1, the crowds were pressing in to hear the word of the Lord. And this word was, had become flesh. Verse uh, John chapter 1 tells us the word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. And the word was Jesus. And so he's sharing God's truth, God's logos to people who need to hear. And then in verse 2, we, saw, we see that he sees. He saw two boats in the lake. He identified two boats in the lights. The crowds were pressing in on him. Uh, but Jesus, in fact, I love what, how Robert Coleman puts it in his book, The Master Plan of Evangelism. Old book, I encourage you to read it if you ever get a chance. Robert Coleman, it's actually was Billy Graham's favorite book on evangelism. He says this, the mission of Christ all started with Jesus calling a few men to follow him. So the crowds were following him, but what was Jesus' intention? He went to go find those who were going to follow him, who were going to form his core. I love what Robert Coleman points out here. His concern was not with programs to reach the multitudes, or even the multitudes, but with the men whom the multitudes would follow. So Jesus is intentional. He's identifying those who are going to be the core of the ministry that he's going to create, the very ministry, in fact, that we sit here today and worship as a result of. He initiates the relationship. In fact, he shows already that he's God because he is omniscient. He knows who is out in the boats. He knows what they're going to do. In fact, he knows that this is a precursor to Peter, James, and John. And Andrew was probably there, even though he's not mentioned here. He's mentioned in the Gospel of Mark. He knows that Peter, James, and John are going to form the core of his disciples. They're his inner core, the three beloved disciples that he spent the most time with. And so he goes and he calls them. And this is a reverse in that time, a reverse of what the rabbinic practice was, the rabbis. Well, every, every Jewish boy was raised in the law of God. And then by the age of 17... They had to decide, did they want to go any further? And if they wanted to go further, they had to go sit at the foot of, of a rabbi, a teacher, and basically ask and beg and learn until they got called upon. And do you know that the practice back then is the rabbi picked those who were going to follow him, just like Jesus is doing. But he picked the best candidates. It's kind of like when, you know, the saints have preseason, the cowboys have preseason, they have preseason to weed out those who aren't going to make it on the team. That's kind of what happened during this time. They were weeding out who wasn't going to make it on the team as far as following Jewish boys, following a rabbi at age 17. The rabbis chose the best. Well, what you're going to see here, and if you, don't, if you, if you haven't read the rest of the Gospels, you know that Peter made a lot of mistakes. He made a lot of mistakes. We all relate to Peter because we're all as dumb as Peter is sometimes, right? Here's the awesome thing about the Jesus that we follow. He doesn't choose the best. He uses the willing. He doesn't choose the best. He uses the willing. He comes after those who are willing to drop everything 
and follow him. In fact, he saw them while they were in need. They had gone out and they were washing their nets. If you didn't know, the most productive time to fish, and, and, and they alluded to it in this passage, was at nighttime. And so afternoon, as the sun was coming up and as noon came, this was the worst time for them to fish. They were honing it in for the day. So they're washing their nets and they're washing their nets in defeat. They hadn't been productive. They hadn't had everything. In fact, Jesus will call them in a minute to cast their nets at what, is the, what they would consider the least productive time of the day. Do y'all see how it takes faith to follow Jesus? Jesus might call us to do things that don't seem natural. In fact, that's why we call it supernatural. And so first we have to identify. I love what John MacArthur says about this. He says, God skipped all the wise men of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers were in Athens. The powerful were in Rome. He passed over, now you, some of you may know some of these names. He passed over Herodotus the historian, Socrates the great thinker, and even the leader of Rome, Julius Caesar. He chose men so ordinary, it's actually quite comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts, not even a synagogue ruler. Half were fishermen. One was essentially an IRS worker. We know Matthew, Levi, right? Y'all, we don't like IRS workers, right? So that was Matthew. One was an IRS agent, and one was, in fact, even a former terrorist. And you think about the Apostle Paul, who Jesus shows up to in the book of Acts and carries on the work of, of bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. Paul was a murderer. Paul was a bad man. And yet God chose him. This is an encouragement to us. As Robert Coleman says, Jesus can use anyone who wants to be used. Jeff Vanderstelt says in his book, Saturate, he says, the mission of Jesus is yours to participate in. It has always been God's intention to choose normal, everyday people and to show his amazing power and glory through them. Here's the thing that we all need to hear today. He's not looking for the most impressive people or persons to follow him because he is already that person. You're the perfect candidate for God to use to accomplish his purpose. And we begin to accomplish the purposes of following Jesus by being identified by him. And then since we're identified by him, we identify others who need to know about him. Secondly is this. Three eyes, identify, and the second one is this, invest. Verses three through four, Jesus got into the boat, which was Simon. Simon was the leader. He was the owner of this boat, and he gets in the boat, and it's very strategic. He gets in the boat, and he begins to teach even not just the who would be the disciples from their boats, but he teaches the crowds who are gathering at the shore of the boats and they're hearing the truth that he's proclaiming. It is not by accident that Jesus's platform was a boat because he would call us to be fishers of men. This is what God's call is for his people. 
He spent time, he got away from the crowds, he got in the boat of two men and, and their partners who were in a core responding boat. And he, it may seem odd that he just, if you see, Peter didn't invite Jesus in the boat. Y'all know all the time, we don't have to be invited to tell people about Jesus. It doesn't mean that we're rude. It means that we invest to the point that we know we have the ability to tell them about Jesus. Why? How, how do you see this here? Well, if you go back to the Gospel of John, you'll see that Jesus, in fact, has met these apostles earlier. He encounters the followers, the disciples of John the Baptist. And one was a guy named Andrew. And Andrew and Nathaniel, Philip, you've heard of some of these people, they were disciples of John the Baptist. And Andrew gets so excited about Jesus, whom they meet, he goes and he finds his brother Peter. Most historians tell us this probably was about a year before Jesus called them at the boats at the Sea of Galilee. So for a year, Jesus knew these dudes. Y'all, it blows your mind, right? Sometimes you study the Bible and you're like, he just met these people for the first time and he's saying, drop everything and follow me. And yes, yes, if Jesus comes and we meet him for the first time and he says to drop everything, we drop and we follow him. But Jesus had invested in these people. He spent time with these people. He healed the mother-in-law of Simon who he got in the boat. In fact, Jesus probably felt that he had the authority to get into the boat, perhaps uninvited, because he had healed Simon Peter's mother-in-law. He'd already invested in them. And he sat down and he taught. We've talked about before that they were teachable. Jesus doesn't, call, doesn't choose the best. He will use the willing. They were teachable. We see in Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, I'll let you into Peter and John's future here in, in God's Word. In the book of Acts, Luke's next book, it says that in verse four, 13 of chapter 4, when they, talking about the Pharisees, saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated. It's like, yeah, they probably went to school in New Orleans. You know, that's probably what they're thinking, you know? I graduated Bonneville High School. I'm a product. So, hey, they were uneducated. Common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They were astonished by the boldness that Peter and John had and realized that these uneducated men were speaking with truth and with power and they knew where that truth and power came from and it had to be Jesus. Verse 5, Peter responds, says, Simon Peter answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. I told you already, they're probably at noontime to afternoon, and Jesus is telling them, okay, cast your nets again. And they're like, okay, this was the time of day when nothing, I mean, we're not going to get anything, but at your word, I will do it. There's power in God's word. And, and Peter calls Jesus master. He recognizes who he is. Master was a word, rabbi was a word used by the Jews, Master was a word used by the Gentiles. In fact, the difference is sometimes you'll see that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels in our New Testament, all are a little different. 
And that's because they're all written for a different purpose and to a different audience. Matthew wrote to the Jews, while Luke wrote to the Gentiles. He wanted to put together an orderly account. How do we know Luke and Acts were, were written by the same person? Well, we know that both were addressed to Theophilus, and Theophilus was probably a wealthy benefactor who, who funded some of the research that it would take for Luke to put together an orderly account of Jesus' life and Jesus' mission through the church. And we see that Luke's intention was that Gentiles would know who Jesus is. So Luke uses a term here, master, in which Gentiles could understand. If you're in here today, there's a 99.9% .9 chance you're probably a Gentile. And so here's the good news. The good news is God's word and God's eternal destiny is for you and me as well. But at your word, and they cast the nets out. Think about this. I love what the Holman commentary it says here. It says, tough, in it, tough experienced fishermen let Jesus show them when and where to fish. Now get this. Tough experienced fishermen let Jesus show them when and where to fish. Following Jesus requires humility. Following Jesus requires intentionality. It requires us to get into the boat of people who need to hear. There's people sinking all around us. I don't know if you like to get on boats or not. Some people don't like boats because they sway. That's probably my thing. I get sick. I get seasick. So don't invite me deep sea fishing. It's not you know, personal. I'm probably not going to go. You know, I get sick on the boat ride, the little boat ride to Ship Island. Anybody ever been there where you go from uh, Gulfport to Ship Island? A quick boat ride, maybe in, maybe 45 minutes, an hour. I get sick on that. I don't like being on boats. Some people have a fear of boats because they fear that they're going to drown. Maybe they can't swim. And so here's, here's the thing. Here's the analogy for us. There are people all around us who are putting up their nets for the day, that they've given up on their productivity. They've given up on what they've worked as hard as they can, and they're ultimately not able to pay their bills. They maybe have lost friends. They've lost family. People have given up on them. There are people that are literally around us that are drowning, Drowning in despair, drowning in depression, drowning in sorrow. Well, just as Jesus got in the boat to teach and love, we're called to get into the boat to teach and love. We identify because we've been identified. We invest in other people because we've been invested in. Now, our last point is this. Identify, invest. The last is this. Invite. Invite. Verse 8 says, so they cast their nets and they got this incredible load of fish and the boat was sinking and about to break. They called people in to come and help with this large catch that was coming in. Verse 8, it says that, but when Peter saw all of, all of this, he fell down at Jesus' feet and said, depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, why did Jesus, why did Peter respond to Jesus in this way? Throughout the Old Testament, there's a fancy theological term I'm going to teach you today. There's a fancy theological term that we see in Scripture. It's called theophanies, theophanies. And what happens when a theophany happens is when God displays himself physically, spiritually to mankind. 
Jesus was the greatest theophany that we've ever experienced. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Here's some theophanies in the Old Testament. The burning bush. The burning bush when Jesus speaks to Moses in the burning bush, that's a theophany. In the New Testament, the transfiguration on the top of the mountain when he shows up, that, that is a theophany. A theophany is when God shows himself to mankind in a unique way. So Jesus knew, I mean, Peter knew Jesus was who he said he was. And get this, sometimes it takes time. Peter had already seen that Jesus had healed his mother-in-law. Peter had already experienced all the miracles. But then Jesus turns his life around financially. Like Jesus turns his life around morally. Jesus turns his life completely around. And it takes yet another miracle for Jesus to, to become real to Peter. And his response, the only response that you can have when you see the glory of God is to fall down in fear and to repent. That's what happens throughout Scripture. When people encounter the glory of God, they fall down in fear. And in fact, usually, whether it's an angel or God himself, that he puts a hand on his shoulder and says, fear not. And so we see that Jesus tells Peter to, 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 to fear not in verse 9. It says, for when he... for." For he and all who were with him, they were astonished. They were blown away at this catch of fish. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Peter. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. Because now on, you're not just going to catch physical fish. You're going to catch people. The only earthly investment that we bring with us for all of eternity is other people. It's not money. It's not Super Bowl wins. It's not, it's not our degrees. None of these things. People are who will be with us for all of eternity. And that's why he tells Simon, you will be catching people from now on. And then when, it brought, when they brought their boats to land, it says they left everything and they followed. So we identify people just as we've been identified by Jesus. We invest in people. We get into the boat just as Jesus has invested in us. And lastly, we invite people to follow Jesus just as we have been invited to follow Jesus ourselves. 97% of people, LifeWay Research tells us, that follow Jesus have done so at the invitation of someone else. Doesn't mean that Jesus doesn't show up in dreams. It doesn't mean that he doesn't speak to people individually because there's 3% there. We know of stories in the Middle East where you can't gather for church, where Jesus is saving uh, Muslims and Iraq and, and Afghanistan and play, by just showing up in dreams miraculously. But here in America, where we have mouths and the greatest persecution that we might get, yes, you may lose your life, but probably the greatest persecution that you're going to get for sharing Jesus is losing your reputation. 
So here in America, we have mouths and we get to share the goodness. 97% of people who come to Jesus do so at the invitation of someone else. And did you know anywhere between a fourth, I've seen different research, anywhere between one fourth and one third of all people, even in 2022, even in a day where it's not culturally relevant to go to church, like where it's not culturally acceptable, y'all know, some of y'all, when you were younger, you just went to church. That was the good thing that you did. Even if you weren't a Christian, it was good to go to church. Even nowadays, where there is not such an emphasis on going and attending and being a part of a local church, research tells us that possibly even one out of every three people surveyed that don't go to church said that they would if they were invited. One out of three one out of four, wherever the research lands, it's different. That means that at the worst, one out of three out of four people that I invite to come to church with me are going to tell me no. It's okay. Honestly, church, I think we need to get okay with that. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4 verse 31, it says that when they prayed, the room in which they were gathered was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the words of God with boldness. They, they continued to speak the words of God boldly. I want to let us off the hook today. It's okay for people to tell us no. It's okay to feel rejection when you invite somebody to hear about someone that you love. Because I can guarantee you the Savior that got in the boat for us felt it even worse than us. Because on the sinner's cross, he felt all the weight and the shame of every mistake that we've made, yet he continued to willingly lay down our life, his life for us. The book of Isaiah talks about a similar call where Isaiah encounters the Lord. Isaiah chapter 6, verse 5. And he encounters the Lord and his response was, woe is me. I am lost. Some other translations say, I am completely undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, but my eyes have seen the Lord, the God Almighty. And then in verse 8, he says, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah's response was, here I am. Take me. Send me. I'll let you in on something I haven't told a ton of people. I was at this event um, where the year 2000 was turning, and Laura was at the same event. She didn't know her handsome husband that was, you know, was there. But she was at the same event, different youth group, and we were in Houston. And they encouraged us to, to write down and think about what our first words of the new millennium were going to be. Y2K was going to make the world go into chaos. The world was going to shut down. Our, what were our first words of a new millennium, a new season going to be? And I don't know that I've ever shared publicly with the entire church this, but mine were, at first I screamed, I screamed. Then I realized, oh, I'm supposed to say these words. And so then I said, so it was a scream, but then my first audible words were this, Lord, take me, I'm yours. Lord, take me, I'm yours. I did not know at the time, I had no desire to be a pastor. 
I had no desire to live in New Orleans. I had no desire, like, y'all, I just wanted to get away. When I said, Lord, take me, I'm yours, I had no idea where that was going to bring me. And I don't know, I have any idea where that is going to bring me. But what it, what it does say is that, God, I'm going to give you my yes. I'm never going to tell you no. Whatever you call me to do, I will do. And I would encourage everyone in this room to give God a blank check. Let him write. Maybe it's a bad analogy. We don't use checks anymore, right? Just give God everything. Everything. It says they left everything and followed him. May we do the same. Just as they left their boat, which was their career, just as they left their father Zebedee, who was in fact their family, they left everything. They valued Jesus over everything. And because we value Jesus, we work hard, we love on our families, we do everything that he's called us to do, but we have to know what our roots are. Our roots, the reason we do everything that we do is because we, at the core, are, are committed to following Jesus. Now, I'll conclude with this. At the very end of, as Jesus had defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he was appearing to the disciples who's about to ascend, he finds Peter yet again out on the Sea of Galilee fishing. We see at the end of the book of John, John chapter 21, verse 4 through 8. Maybe you want to turn there. John chapter 21, verses 4 through 8. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, and yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they answered him, no. And he said to them, cast it on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. So they cast it. And now they weren't able to haul it in because of the great quantity of fish. The disciple whom Jesus loved, which is John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment and that for he was stripped down for work. He put, basically puts his cloak on. He threw himself into the sea and the other disciples came in the boat dragging the net full of fish for they were not far off from the land, about a hundred yards. Now, Peter had denied Jesus three times. Peter was in fact restored by Jesus. Jesus used a similar miracle with Peter to say, cast your net. They were having another unproductive day. Because here's the lesson for you and me. When we follow Jesus, it doesn't mean that we're not going to have hard days again. Peter, James, and John, Andrew, they probably had another hard day again as they had gone back to fishing because they thought Jesus was dead. Jesus says, cast your net. The same miracle happens again. Jesus is who he says he is. He will always be who he says he is. Book of Hebrews tells us that in chapter 13, he's the same today, yesterday, and forever. He's never changing. His love for you and desire for you that you would follow him has never changed. And I'd like to invite you to join the family. And I'm not talking just about 
our church, but by following Jesus, it inexplicably means that you follow Jesus with other people, the local church. I'm calling you to the family of God. Maybe you're here today and you don't know who your father, your mother, your brothers, your sister. Actually, Jesus said himself. They said your, they said your mother and your, your siblings are outside. And Jesus said, those who hear the word of God and do it are my father, my brother, and my sister. Not father. He knew who his father was. My brothers, my sisters, my mother. Those who hear the word of God and do it. Well, that's what we're called to do, family. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I'd like to invite you today to call upon Jesus' name. Call upon his name. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Commit your life to follow him. If you need to be a part of a church family, we'd like to invite you to follow Jesus in doing that as well. If you're here today and God's birthing something in you, some way to serve, uh, I'll, give you, I'll give an example. Ms. Sherelle told my wife, who told me, that she was willing to help us lead a few Sundays on Sunday morning. We have other people in here, Elijah, uh, that have said that they would help as well. If God's calling you to serve in some way, if God's calling you to some sort of mission, now's your time. Respond. If you're hurting, if you feel that your boat's sinking and there's no way out, what a better time to call upon the name of the Lord. So let's bow our heads and close our eyes. And let's reflect today on Jesus' mission, that he identified us, that he invested in us, and he's inviting us to follow him. Jesus, I thank you for who you are. I thank you just as you've identified me, you, you give me the privilege of identifying others who are in need. Lord, today I pray just as you've invested in me, I would invest with my time, my talent, my treasure, everything that I have into others who need to follow you. And God, just as you invited me as a young boy to follow you, just as you invite me continually every day to take up my cross daily and follow you, help me to invite others to do the same. Lord, we love you, and it's for your glory and your, your fame alone that we respond, declaring that we have followed you. There is no turning back. It's in your name that we respond. Amen.